One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 424. Terry Miller, the disc golf guy. Again, not alongside Johnny V, just where I like to be. You- Other side of the country. Yeah, I mean, if you would just travel a little more east, I'm about as far west as we can get. We we could make this truly uh, cross country if you wanted, Johnny. I can't go f- too much further directly east or I go into the lake. But I could probably uh, go south and then east a little bit and maybe try to go further towards the that side of the country. You know. could just take a ferry over Lake Michigan. All right. Um, reconnect true. in Michigan and then keep driving all the way across. Eventually, you'll be at like the Nick and Matt show or someone over on the East Coast. Maybe run into Charlie. I think doesn't he do a podcast or something like that? Just get that far east. I'll be on the West Coast. We'll make it well, work. I like that you're on the West Coast only to make you suffer that you have to wake up at like five in the morning because Earlier. everybody knows how much of a morning person you are. Yeah. Yes. Well, we're here. Uh, I am in Oregon. I'm in Bend. And today, which is the earliest day, but still not much different than the next few days. Uh, today, I was up at 430 to get picked up at five to be on headsets at 515 so that we could start at six o'clock on the west coast and i know some of you are thinking no big deal i'm up that early to go pour concrete or plow a field or whatever and by gosh uh that's impressive but for someone like myself who's not much of a night owl or much of a morning person more of a night owl yeah it's it's a little bit rough so so tonight we got a couple of things to talk about first of all we'll get uh, the obvious out of the way it's wednesday night of course uh last night i was actually traveling to bend at this exact same time so couldn't be on even though we sat on a plane for a while uh far too long but then uh talked to gannon burr gannon burr said he's interested in joining us he said he would love to come on at this time tonight just a few hours ago he messaged and said hey i still want to be there but the disc golf pro tour is having their Uh, opening banquet ceremony party i don't know what it is but it sounds like a good time over in charlotte i assume and so whenever he gets done with that which should be sometime in the next hour then he's going to go ahead and join us and until then we can 
recap throw pink. We can talk about the USDGC. We can talk about other things that are happening, of course, in disc golf. But that's kind of the lay of the land for tonight. And uh, my friends at Founders are not going to be involved tonight. Uh, that that was very sad for, last for everybody. Festivities, but uh, here we are. We're live and glad to bring you our regular podcast. So, uh, Doc Zen, who's out on the board, along with all of our other Smashies, if you guys could just share it and do all the stuff you normally would on a Tuesday night, we'd appreciate it. We know we're definitely throwing some people off by randomly coming at you on a Wednesday night, but... Yeah, don't accidentally Sometimes go to work. that's just how it works. <laughs> don't accidentally go to work on Saturday because you're a day behind or anything. It just... Yeah. Don't, don't... Yeah, don't do it. I do kind of like the earlier time. I'm not going to lie. The 8 o'clock Central, I don't mind it. Not that I mind too much about a, uh, the 9 o'clock... But the eight o'clock central doesn't hurt. I'm not going to lie. I I mean, if if there was a I'm going to say a poll, or if there was enough request and or people wanting it, I I would not be opposed to us moving to a eight o'clock on a Tuesday night either. Mm. So I guess we could talk about making that happen, whether it's in this this maybe year we'll, or maybe beginning of next year. I don't maybe know. When we get let's let's get to episode six hundred and then we'll make a decision. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> By then, we'll uh, maybe start a show on time, and uh, we'll be able to uh, have no technical difficulties as well, but probably not. Probably not. Probably not. All right. Let's get into it. Uh, Johnny, I think it only makes sense. Why don't we start with recapping what we saw over at the Throw Pink Women's Disc Golf Championships uh, that took place over in Rock Hill last week. The Throw Pink Women's Championship, a, a PDGA A-tier this is not a major. This is an A tier. We've had this discussion about whether what uh, the purposes it serves and this and that. But we're going to talk about some results coming out of her month long slumber. Katrina Allen decides to show up. The Katrina Allen that we all know and love. Who you know, it, it took her a while. She was finding her form. She said she's been having some issues driving. She's worked with Austin, and just the last month really hasn't been great for her. But this weekend was great for her. She wins the Throw Pink Women's Disc Golf Championship. Um, yeah, believe it or not, that's a mouthful if you want to do it correctly. It, it is. And I wanted to make sure to at least get it in once because otherwise I'm just going to call it Throw Pink from now on. So I wanted to make sure I got the full the, the full deal out uh, at least one time. Uh, Katrina Allen wins by three strokes over probably, I mean, not... Arguably, the the definitive favorite in in uh, Kristen Tatar. Kristen Tatar, if you want to look at the UDISC win probability, if you want to talk about pretty much anyone that's been watching the sport for the last six months, practically, uh, Tatar has had a pretty dominant last few months. Uh, she, she Obviously, she has just been playing extremely well. Uh, she started out very slow at the event, but ended up coming back to end up getting in the uh, the, po- the podium finishes uh, to take second behind Katrina Allen. It got it got a little close for a while, but it was never like like uh, I never felt like Katrina was ever out of touch. She had some bad breaks, got some good putts, whatever. Uh, third place was Henna Blum. Wait, let's say it right. Henna Blumrus. Blumrus. That's what we're going sure. with. I know Bloomroos, third place, fourth place, Missy Gannon, big money Missy, not quite able to show up and take first place, but a pretty darn good paycheck in fourth place. Fifth place, Haley King, 
Sixth place, Sarah Hokum. Seventh place, Natalie Ryan. Eighth place, Own Scoggins, who just had a very brutal end to her final round to drop down to eighth. She wasn't having a, a an extremely great round going into that, but it wasn't bad. It was those last two holes that really just kind of sucker punched her. Uh, and then tied for your top ten was Holland Handley and Evelina Solomon. So those are your top ten for the Throw Pink Women's Disc Golf Championship. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> uh, what I think is really what, some of the stuff that jumped out at me is obviously we saw a change in how the course played throughout the weekend. Typically, you think people get to know the course. It gets that much easier. Well, not when the wind picked up, and that was really in round number three. And I guess what I look at is I see that, uh, if if I recall, Katrina Allen shot a six down in round one. Mm-hmm. She shot a 10 down in round number two, along with two other women. And then for rounds three and four, she shot one over and one under. So what she shot in the first two rounds is what she actually ended the tournament with in that 16 under. And I think that just obviously speaks to how much more difficult the course got when there was more wind that picked up in round three. Yeah, round rounds one and two were ideal conditions. Brutal. Ideal conditions in the first two rounds. Like you, there was barely uh, a, a mile per hour of wind. I mean, you would look at the flags and they were still. Nobody had an issue putting. Nobody had any issues throwing any sort of throws that they wanted to. And then you saw in those final two days, people started. You know, th- those discs were floating a little bit more left and right. The players weren't quite as confident in their putts. And Katrina Allen has a relatively, I would say, susceptible putt to the wind. The way she tips the disc on a hyzer angle, can, re- depending on the way she's facing, can really push one way or the other. And we saw some putts that really scooted in on either side on that final round. I think she expected the wind to maybe push them a little more, but still was keeping it between the... Uh, I'd say just inside of those chains. And it just affected the entire field. It there, you know, you, you have on round three, you know, most people other than Tatar, I mean, she was kind of an aberration. Most people around even couple over. It just, it changed the game completely. But yeah, Kristen it, Tatar came out and shot, you know, she's got a very level, flat, straight putt, which doesn't, necessarily get affected by the wind nearly as much and i think that helped her out honestly and she shot a six under par when everybody else was shooting around even and it helped her jump back up yeah and and something that i noticed just overall and this quickly summarizes i feel like the overall conditions uh, on the course first day it averaged 2.8 2.8 over par. Second day, it averaged half of that, 1.41. Third day, then it went to four times that in averaging 5.46. And then on the fourth day, it was somewhere right in the middle of all of that at 2.98 or essentially three over. So, uh, you know, I think that kind of gives you an idea. Now, you have a few anomalies and you have a few extra scores that can really make those uh, averages blow up in some, into some in some regard. But... I think that gives you a pretty good idea that when you see the overall course average and what that shook out to be. So, uh, yeah, it was it was uh, crazy to see. And then really just to follow that up for a moment, because it yesterday was, of course, Tuesday and a ratings day. 
just everyone keep in mind, and I know there was a lot of hype and analysis of these events over this weekend, neither of these courses will count toward the ratings, the official PDGA ratings for any of the competitors because of some of the rules that are in place that are outside the boundaries of your standard stroke play. So although one is an A tier, one is a major, uh, they're both, neither of them actually count toward your ratings. And and the only reason why I think that's worth mentioning is... One, we just had ratings update yesterday. And two, it's uh, it, it does seem strange that you have one, you know, a couple of the most prestigious events of the year and to have them not count to your ratings. And I know we all can or do or don't care about ratings, but it's worth identifying and, and declaring that for everybody just because ratings happened to come out yesterday. I think it's it's even more timely. Yeah, it's more or less for the women. It's whole 12. I think you could almost get away with everything except for hole 12 because that is a um, uh, stroke and distance. It's a stroke and distance hole. If you don't make the green on your approach, you either throw from the drop zone or you re. I don't say re t, but you throw from your current position. And we saw um, we saw Cat Merch on I think it was on day one or day two round one. It it looked like we had just hit repeat. Honestly, the way she threw, because she she threw three of them straight out of bounds and didn't progress at all. And then we, I think we saw yeah, and, uh, Sarah Hokum hey, do mom. that on on round four. Mm. And it was just th- th- because of that, because you cannot advance up the up the fairway. That is one of the reasons that it this particular hole wrecks the ratings because i think even for the women hole 17 would still work because you still advance you go from one drop zone if you don't make it to there you go to the next drop zone if you don't make it from there you know you you do whatever i mean it's that's kind of how it works but for the men for the uscgc you've got this hole and hole 17 because hole 17 for the men you you have to tee from the tee box three times before you progress to the to the uh next drop zone so that that's so I'll, more I'll- or less the reason so I'll keep the question in this case relatively straightforward and easy and say, is that one rule on that one hole, hole 12, is it worth having that rule on that one hole for the women, the men, separate story, we could have that conversation later, is just having one rule on one hole worth getting all the ratings thrown out? Uh, who are you asking? PDJ? are you asking Innova? Or, I'm sorry, not Innova, throw pink. Because if you're asking throw pink maybe it is if you're asking the pdga i guarantee you they're gonna say hell no they say no get rid of that it's been it's been a a a, a fight slash struggle slash discussion point for 10 years 15 years uh, however long ratings basically have been in place th- this event has become is it you know been an xm tier for the most part because they they can shape the rules to make the competition more i say exciting is one way to put it i mean you you can when there's a chance to take a giant number there's always a chance to get back in it but Mm -hmm. the giant numbers also kind of don't reflect anything else throughout the season like nowhere else in the season do you have that, so that that's why the ratings don't happen. I personally think that, and for th- it's funny because I almost have two different answers for throw pink versus USCGC. I'm, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of okay with it for throw pink because it's not a major. 
Like it's an A tier. I know it's all. I know it's treated like a major. It, it looks like a major. It smells like a major. It doesn't doesn't have that M. Yeah, it feels like one to Katrina. Yeah, it feels like it, the, yeah, the, everything the, the else payout, about it. The payout looks like one. That's for sure. Katrina got ten grand. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so, but because it's an A tier, I have less of an issue with with the modified rules. Now for USDGC. That's a different thing. That is a major. I do not like the modified rules. I I want personally, and I know, hold on, let me get on my soapbox again and again. I want our majors to abide by all PDGA rules. I, I don't like when I have to look at every single dis- description of a hole to figure out where the player is going to throw from if they happen to go out of bounds. Is that a hazard? Is that an OB? Is that what I, I, I don't love that. I've said it a thousand times. I think I'm sure everybody knows that by now, just because if you didn't, we'll even just play pretend and look at throw pink. If you didn't really know the rules on hole 12 and suddenly you saw somebody throwing again and again, you're like, no, why, why aren't they going up to where they went out of bounds? Because nowhere did the commentators talk about why that rule was. They just said, oh, yeah, this is this is what happens. Why? What's the point of it? Like, it's I think it can be confusing for some of our viewers. Now, granted, our viewers are probably not too many outside of the know. We're pretty still small, as big as we are, small and tight knit, tight knit community. But I. I Again, I have a different response for each event. I'm more okay with it for Throw Pink than I am for USDGC. Mm. Okay. <sighs> there, there's my spew. I'm, I'm done with it. It's 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 8.15. We're good. <laughs> um, so, uh, as we just said, Katrina Allen, of course, taking home this massive paycheck, $10,000. And uh, as we, you know, she's the one that I believe said that she during the award ceremony is when she said, I, it may not be a major, but it, it felt like one in every sense in the way that she, you know, prepped the way that it played. Obviously, like you said, the payout, the, the competition, the atmosphere, the course, the competition, all of that as, as stiff as it could possibly be anywhere else uh, for still being then a, a standard stroke play tournament um, for the most part with, with a few rules and exceptions. So um, v- congratulations. I'm not sure, uh, only because I, I honestly don't know if they do this, if they have exemptions, kind of like the USDGC does, if there's a certain, mm-hmm. if you f- make a certain place, uh, maybe if Sarah's on the board, Sarah Nicholson, or, uh, but I, I could see them doing something like that. You finish in the top 10, you're exempt. And, and you know, of course, the division is a little bit smaller, and most of our most serious women that are looking to play generally are getting in for the most part. Obviously, there was, you know, the play in and whatnot. Uh, real quickly, we'll talk about the play in as well. Uh, congratulations to world champions, Sarah Cunningham, along with Paige Bjorkis, or sorry, Paige Shue, uh, w- w- was able to get in uh, by the Monday qualifying. And I know just last week when we were talking about the Monday qualifying, uh, there were, you know, nine there was eight women that were uh, registered. There was one looking in, and uh, no, ultimately there was a. We knew last week because it was the Monday qualifier, so it was last Tuesday. We knew all about this. What happened? Oh, we, did we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but at any rate, it happened, um, hence, hence Monday qualifier and Tuesday. Smash oh yeah, balls. we had a podcast. What day did we have a podcast? Tuesday. See, my nights last week got a little got a little uh, mixed up. So, okay. But anyway, uh, congrats to them. They had gotten in. And then Paige, uh, maybe the follow-up, the really important follow-up that didn't happen yet. 
Paige Shu, Sports Center. Congrats. Yeah. We had two Sports Centers from oh. from this past weekend. I believe uh 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 Austin Turner got on as well for his ace on 16. Sure, I did not I didn't even hear that. Is, is that this, like are we becoming numb to these that I I don't and, even hear that it granted, made it? Austin Turner's might have been like their ESPN web one. I, I don't exactly know, okay. but but I do know that Paige Shu got on, we'll say it, official Sports Center. And with her ace on 17, I mean, what, what a mo the, the most perfect shot on that hole. It's the shot that almost nobody takes. Very few people take yeah. a direct backhand to it because you have such a tiny landing zone and everybody knows if she doesn't hit that basket, she's OB. She's in the water. 100%. The height, the speed, if the basket is three feet to the left, she's you know she's splashing down next to that cameraman on the pier so good thing that she you know she was very accurate right online smashes chains for the one her first ever tournament ace really that i didn't hear and that's that not crazy to me knowing I, it, it's, it's it's paid shoe it seems crazy to me too but she said it's her first ever tournament ace is what i heard so Katrina Allen doesn't ah. have a, but here, no, you want to get, oh, hold on. Let me put my soapbox back together. Click, 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 click. Oh, geez. You, you, <laughs> You're not you that want, good of a builder. That <laughs> would be all night. I am. I am actually. I'm pretty good these days. Um, <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Katrina Allen doesn't have a tournament ace, I don't believe. <laughs> okay. And if you think about it, it just goes to show you how few opportunities our top women have in these big events. How many small events does do, uh, does Katrina play these days? Not many B tiers, not many A tiers. And, and okay. Whereas if you look at our men, how many, how many opportunities do our men get for par threes where they can actually drive the hole? There are not nearly the number for women because of the way the women's Eh. courses are built. So which, which leads, you want to, we got to ask Statmando. I think, yeah, we're going to have to get Statmando on this. um, Because uh, I I think here, yeah, I think the men have more opportunities at aces due to their the, the way they can throw and the, the, the length of their holes as opposed to the FPO who don't necessarily get those opportunities. So, I mean, and granted, we're, we, in the courses we play, we don't play a lot of par threes anymore, but I still think that the men have more opportunities than the women. And Katrina Allen doesn't have a tournament ace. And this is Paige Shoes' first tournament ace. How many women aces do we see a year, Terry? Not nearly as many, but we also have a much smaller sample size for starters. And I'm not saying you're entirely wrong. I'm not. I, I'm just saying I'm I don't think the right. disparity is maybe as big. I mean, Statman, I, get I on think it. back to I think to just back to aces aren't as common. But that I mean, if you also look at it, the the overall ratings of our women if you look at them in in in, in their entirety are going to have a lower average than our men now we all know that ratings don't necessarily equal aces of course however the higher rated you are generally the more consistent better player you are generally the easier chance you're going to have to get an ace right of so course. i mean i think it all depends on what you're looking at i mean i can think of 
three or four or five aces of Paige Pierce alone that either I've covered or have been covered Mm -hmm. by her acing in tournaments. I think you can be the world's best disc golfer and never ace. So I I don't think aces are a great correlation to, well, a lot of things out there. No, I I agree, but I do think they... I'm not fully buying your your. I do think they tie into some of the course design for women. You'd have to look at... You'd statistically have to chop off like the top... 40 men and look at their ace percentage versus our top 40 women and see if there's a general, you know, oh, the men have twice as many aces as the women uh, or something like that, because you can't take the whole field into account because obviously the men's field is much deeper. Uh, A 970 rated MPO player can probably still get an ace on a lot of them, whereas opposed to the, the, the 910 or 900 rated FPO that maybe can't can't reach any of the holes that are out there for them. So anyway, anyway, we're never going to answer this because, you know, there, there's no right, right or wrong answer until we get Statmando to agree with me. So once once they skew, <laughs> yeah. once they skew the data my way, I'll agree. Mm. What about that time when Katrina Allen got an ace during like a little tournament in a backyard and then Paul McBeth also got an ace and they stacked them on top of each other? That happened. That did happen. That wasn't a sanctioned event. So, that no, no, because because I remember Katrina anyway. last year at Ledgestone or two years ago was it uh, at Ledgestone the wa- at uh, at the golf course she threw it mm-hmm. over Sunset. the water hit the basket four? at that point what was that uh, hole four and then hit the basket and did it yeah hit the, hit the basket no? and she said that she still has never gotten one and then also I think it was just this year she skipped up and hit front of a basket on one hole. But still, I don't believe she's put one in yet. All right. Well, as you said, uh, I don't think unless she's got one in the last to, uh, six months that I, I I can't think of. It could be. But uh, I I will say yes, I, and I agree with the board and anyone else that states. Generally speaking, I do not think if you're better, aces might come more often, but I don't think necessarily that there's a correlation. Obviously, longevity of play. There's people that play for 20 years and never get an ace. Uh, that may or may not be how good it may be, what courses they're playing. And also, more often than not, an ace probably isn't that good of a throw. Uh, depending on the situation yeah. uh, and depending on what you're what you're doing and what your objective is. I personally like to birdie every hole or birdie as many holes as possible. There's, there's, as Johnny and I know, when we played in a league, <laughs> there's a course where you can ace, legitimately ace like 16 to 18 of the holes, almost all of them. Uh, but rarely was I ever going for set aces. I'm just trying to get the birdie and, and count on that birdie as opposed to the, uh, <laughs> the possible ace. Anyway, no Doc Zen. I'm not aceless i've got like 50 man and they're all really tough holes anyway so (laughs) (laughs) uh congrats uh throw pink uh wildly successful in every possible way not only did they have the the uh, huge uh clinic that took place uh that continues to gain more and more women and more and more support every year we had top pros over there i think there was somewhere in the neighborhood of six to ten uh top professional women that were additionally helping with the clinic and then uh you know just throw pink being involved in every possible facet over there at vendor village and then also throughout the event and then obviously having the com- uh the competitive side of things just a, a hat off to sarah nicholson and the entire crew the army of people that it takes to pull off that event so congrats to them all right then 
We, I guess we move over to that little thing we call the USDGC, right? That major? Uh, do we have to talk about that one? I mean, just kidding. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. We're yes. going to talk about USDGC. Uh, USDGC so, was fun. Good event. Lots of competition. Yeah. A kid wow, won. You're really, you're really selling it. <laughs> no. Um, as always, it provides a phenomenal um, finish. It feels like USDGC is one of the best events for finishes every year. You can count on it. Last year we had the Paul and Kyle Klein over time. This year we had mm-hmm. Gannon and uh, Nicholas Antala almost go into extra holes because Nicholas parked 18, forcing Gannon to park it. It what a what a crazy crazy event and what a great round from Gannon. Uh, so Gannon shoots a 33 under par, shooting 12 under on the final round to take the USDGC. Antala takes second place by only you know throw that in quotes shooting a nine under par to end up at 32, one stroke behind Gannon. Uh, Kelvin Heinberg, who we'll talk about a little bit later tonight, he took third place shooting a 29 under. Then Paul McBeth shooting at 27. So Major Macbeth did not quite show up on the final day, unfortunately. He started out very, very slow to start the round. But yet still, at one point, I felt like in the middle of the round, he still had kind of a little glimmer of hope. Uh, fifth place, Matty O. Sixth place, Isaac Robinson. Tied for seventh, Waisaki and Joel Freeman. Ninth, Kyle Klein, who we can talk about as well later, about his contract. And tenth place, Nate Sexton. So Papa... Papa Sexton getting into that top 10. The guy just, uh, I always joke about Own Scoggins being an ageless wonder. And I know Sexton isn't nearly um, as close to Masters Field as Own is right now, because Own's in it. Um, but that guy, like, he doesn't tour. I, I love when everyone says he never plays and he just shows up. I'm like, that's crap. He probably plays all the time. He's just not playing competitively. You know, he's he's the type of guy, and he, he I'm not, I'll say all the time. He plays, I think, enough when he's on the West Coast that he can keep his skills to where they at where they're at. Now the thing with Nate Sexton is he is not a particularly far driver. He has a very consistent game that he doesn't really ever try to out out throw a hole. He plays much smarter. It's one of the reasons I think, you know, we're probably not gonna ever hear Nate Sexton win another major. But he, it wouldn't shock me if for the next four to five years, he was sitting there in the top 10 to top 15, just continuing to play solid golf and hit good putts. That's just, he has every aspect of the game you need at like level eight or seven and a half to eight. It's just none of them are tens. You know, Gannon Burr is a, is a level 10 C2 putter. Paul McBeth is a level 10 um, clutch player. Calvin Heinberg is a level 10 thrower. You know, all these guys have something that they can really hit the top of the game with. Nate Sexton doesn't really have that. The only thing you could say level 10 for him is just consistency. Like He's a level 10 consistent for all his skills being about eight. So there's some math yeah, for you. Figure that out. Uh, wow, those are some big numbers. Uh, yeah, no. of course. Uh, uh, another top 10 finish uh, that we're seeing out of Sexton. And as you said, kind of just consistently putting himself there. He finished the last round with a six under to do so. That was bogey free. Got off. 
I, I will call it a slow start by by parring the first five, but I, I'm not sure that he's too disappointed. I don't really feel like hole two is one that he's he's aggressive on. Hole three, we know, is a super tough birdie as it is. Holes one and four are ones where you know he's got a, a much better chance, and then five's probably a little bit of a a coin flip, but I think, you know, thinking you're getting one or two out of the first five would be really kind of his uh, ideal start. I don't think he's he's banking on getting two or holes two or three anyway. So uh, what, before then, we get more into the actual players. Uh, I guess let's recap and talk a little bit about what we saw on the course in terms of the course itself. Hole two had a significant change to it. Yeah. Whole, obviously, three and four ultimately had significant changes. Five, a very slight change, subtle, but still making it a little tougher. Yeah. They moved the basket a little bit closer to the water's edge on five. Uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, all the same for the most part. Eleven and thirteen were the other two significant changes out there. So now that they've played, now that everyone's kind of simmered for a week, uh, in terms of a week ago we were talking about the potential changes they've played out, and now here we are. Any major take? Excuse me. Any major takeaway on those? Any of those holes that had changes, significant changes? I don't love hole three for the men. I think it's a good hole for the women. I don't love it for the men. There was like six birdies okay. all, all weekend. Um, I, I don't know what you do there to make it any different. I don't think you need to add or take away a hazard or anything. It's just, it's, it, I mean, it's a difficult hole. Maybe it's misparred. I don't know. It's just, I didn't well, love, I didn't love it to be honest. Okay, let me just throw a few quick stats as you as you say that. Uh, it did play as the single most difficult hole on the course. One one of them eventually has to, but yeah, played at 4.36. There were only two birdies in the final round. Kevin Jones from Circle 2 and Gannon Burr from, from 50. All right, so the only two birdies came from very long range. Uh, round number three, Barry Schultz had a 16-footer. He was the only birdie in the entire field. So for and I'm willing uh, to bet he laid down a so, roller on his second hole or a second throw. That would be my guess. Is that would be yeah. my guess. We know he didn't throw a forehand. No, so yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, but as likely as you or I throwing a forehand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, round number two, which did have the best conditions overall for all players. Uh, there were four birdies. Waisaki, Proctor, uh, y- Yona. Uh, or Yuna and Austin Hannum. Now here's the kicker. Listen to these distances on round two. These didn't jump out at me earlier. 85 feet for Waisaki, 60 feet for Proctor, 148 from Yuna and uh, Yona and Austin Hannum from 49. So <laughs> the closest make was from 49 in round number two, and, that's, and then in round number one, there that was shows probably, the, I think, just a couple as well. Yeah, that shows that I think Simon and Double there G were three. got it. Simon, Double G, and, and, John, and John Willis from John 66 Willis. feet. Like that. So what is that? Three? It's like 16. Yeah, less than 10 on the weekend. Yeah, some, oh, anyway, six or eight or 10, whatever. Um, the pro, I don't say the problem. The The issue with that hole is is the green. Because you can't really, it's very difficult to attack the putt 
because you can't get that close. You, everyone is and everyone is almost always left with like a 50 footer, a 60 footer. And if you miss that putt, you go underneath the pines, giving yourself a very difficult comeback. So it's very difficult to attack it on the putt. Not only is it a difficult hole, but it's difficult to attack. You have to be very confident in your putt as the players that we see get it are or you know, m- m- maybe float one up there and get lucky. So I don't know if it is, if that green is right for that hole, if that makes sense, because you, it's just very difficult to get close enough to give yourself a birdie opportunity at it and be aggressive. I, I don't dislike the shape of it. I don't think it's an unfair hole by any means. It's it's perfectly fair. The first shot is a wide open hyzer for a righty. The second shot is a is a skilled either roller or a forehand to try to skip it up in there. It's just that third shot doesn't really leave you much. So you either end up laying it up or if you're very lucky and you get close enough, you can, you know, you can run out of putt and hope not to slide underneath the pines. I, I don't know. I'm kind of on the border as I just don't think it provides enough scoring separation. If you want to look at it that way, that's my, that's my well. takeaway with that hole. Yeah, and I guess the long and short of it is there just were very, very few birdies throughout the entire weekend when you add them all up. And again, some hole on the course has to play as the hardest, just as some hole has to play as the easiest uh, when it's all said and done, of course. But yes, very, very few pars. 68% of the field parred it during round four uh, versus 69% in round three. 77% of the field birdied it, in, or I'm sorry, wow, uh, parred it in round two. And again, I'm not uh, mm-hmm. in design numbers, so to speak, uh, that hardcore, but 77% pars doesn't seem like the hole is playing exactly as as you would want it to for a golf hole. So. Yep. Uh, and then, um, you go to, then you go to hole three, which I, I like. I think it's a fine hole. The, it's a single mando now, so I don't mean f- or four. Sorry, you're, four. You're it's a new four. New four. I was going to say. I think we were, we were wildly we, off base. We were just, talking, just about talking about three. Uh, talking about okay. hole four. I, I I'm fine with it. The single mando. It, it's a it's a good change of pace on that course. Uh, just a straight ahead 300 foot shot or whatever it is, 296 or something. Um, and I've got no problem with it. I think it's I think it's perfectly fine. You can get a little lucky. You can kind of try to swing one out between the trees if you're if you if you really want to try to flex something or just try to run it right up the gut i don't think we see enough mm-hmm. enough holes on our pro tour and elites are that are truly straight just truly dead straight mid-range shots cool here here's here is a dead straight mid-range try to try not to go left or right you know you have to pipe it up the gut i've got zero issues with that hole i, I think it's a fine hole yeah, I think it's also perfectly fine. And then I think about the players that miss need to learn that you, you're you looking probably for some overstability, whether that's a stable mid or whatever you're doing, that mm-hmm. if you if you do miss the line or it fades out, just make sure that it's fading out left, that it's that it's headed and, you know, it's coming in flat and then heading out to the left because it seemed like the left was just wide open for the taking once you got to a certain point, of course. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't... Uh, I'm totally good with that. It almost doesn't, it may be just because we're old school and old, it almost doesn't feel like it fits the style of the course. Uh, 
because of just the way that it's lined up. And it, it, but if you really think about it, I mean, how different of it is it than say hole one or hole, hole seven? seven? I mean, it just it has a different aesthetic to it. But mm-hmm. maybe it just feels different. No, Terry, it fits seven, right in. You have more room to work with. It fits right in because it has a mando, like every other hole on that course. <laughs> True. Uh, so is, I think there it, is a mando. I think it fits just fine on that hole on that course. Um, again, then you move on to hole five and the, the, the basket closer to the water. That's fine. The rest of them. Um, and then you get to hole 11 and again, or, uh, yeah, was it 11? Is that the first yep. big change? Uh, uh, I mean, it's fine. I don't, I don't know if I love the, the big Mando or not Mando, sorry, hazard in the middle, but mm. I, it, it, it takes away the easy layup. I'll put it that way. It takes away the, the perfect layup zone to where a player will lay up to throw their second shot onto the green. You either have to go at it harder or come up short, and then your your second shot is a lot tougher to get to the green if you lay up short of that hazard. So, meh. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't dislike it nearly as much. I mean, again, short of my soapbox rant a couple, you know, 15 minutes ago, but... Yeah, I'm okay with 11. Uh, 13. Dumb. The old 888. Dumb. Dumb. I, I didn't see a lot of tee shots from... I didn't see a lot of tee shots from the men. I love I love the FPO or the throw pink teeing area. I didn't see, like, actually watch and see a lot of tee shots from that MPO uh, area. What what was the, what was kind of the common thread or theme or a plan of attack off the tee there? Just almost everybody threw a stock hyzer. There were okay. some people because you have two options. You can throw the stock hyzer big up and over and spike it down into the fairway and progress up the fairway two hundred and fifty to three hundred feet, or you can try to go over the mound straight at it and then you run the risk of going left into the trees i just i dislike the up and down because i feel like almost everybody just throws the stockheiser now we saw Macbeth try to push the stockheiser and he ended up going ob to the right on that final round but mm. i mean there's a tree that's right there that can kind of if you're going straight can kind of get in your way i just don't like the tee shot i think the green is phenomenal it's it's a one angle uh, accessible basket if you are around the basket at almost 270 other degrees you can't it's much more difficult to hit that putt I really like the green on that particular one I like the fairway going up with the with the woods on the left and the single tree mando OB on the right I just really dislike the tee shot it's bad for filming I think it's I think it's boring for most players because even a a great a great shot on that one gains you like eighty feet maybe I I don't think I don't think it there's not enough incentive to to really attack from the tee box I feel so I, I don't like it I think it's I think the tee is dumb I'd rather see the men play from up on the mound where the women played from well and and I literally was just looking as to what the distance is and then maybe trying to think of uh, alternatives so the distance from the women's tee on 13 is 657 so it would be you know and it was considered a par 4 
Mm-hmm. And then also, I guess it, while it mattered, I, I might as well just take a look at some of the stats for it. What I guess I'd be curious to see is, is there a place where you could force some kind of landing zone there, but have the men tee from the top and then just do something with the fairway? Yeah. I don't know exactly what, but do something with the fairway to make it tougher, but having the men throw from the top as well. Because obviously, I think you put the men up there. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you put the men up there, you make it still, you leave it as the par four, and you see how far men want to push it. And then if you get super greedy... You throw it into the woods, and that's that's ultimately your punishment. Or you miss the mando mm-hmm. on the right; that's your punishment. And if it turns out to be a, a really soft par four, I don't know that I mind it. I just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't I, use the word dumb, but I don't. I definitely do not <laughs> care for the tee shot, uh, the the initial tee shot. And I, I was holding my reservation or my thought process until I physically went and looked at it. And at one point when I did the course walkthrough before the event, I stood on that tee. And you, you, as you guys saw on camera, you're, just, you're, standing at, you're staring at a mound. And I get it. There's times you throw straight up hills. And maybe this was trying to mimic that to some degree. Or you're putting, a, you know, you're putting that kind of angle on, on the disc. And that's maybe, you know, that's clearly part of the challenge that they're trying to create there. Just there's an aesthetic that I really just didn't care for as well. Like you're you're staring at a hill and that's it. It just it it felt weird to me. So I, I don't know, you know, again, and I don't design, know if, maybe there's another solution. I don't know if putting the men up on the mound is the right answer. I would have to see how a bunch of them throw from up there if it's yeah. worthwhile to because a lot of the women were just going up there throwing kind of a hyzer trying to end up to the left of the big mando tree and then shoot up the gut. If there's not a good angle for the men to get to the hole or a, attack to to the a good spot and everybody's laying up, then that's not the right answer either. I don't have necessarily the right answer for the hole. I just feel that where it's at now, like you said, it's not aesthetically pleasing. I didn't feel like it was really like there was much. There was much there, honestly. Yeah. I love the rest of the hole. I truly do. I just don't like the yep. tea. Yep. So, meh. Whatever. And then uh, and then from there on out, most things played out. Now, <laughs> the, the, uh, some, I think, I'm, I'm probably misquote him now, but I know one of the gentlemen that does some just USDGC specific stats. I believe he had said hole 16 had never been aced before. Mm-hmm. And then it got aced twice. Three rounds? Three? Twice. Uh Austin Austin Turner. Yep. Was it Albert Tom? Did he yes. did he put it in? Yep, Albert Tom put it yeah. put it in on a straight forehand and I think Austin Turner put it in off a skip, I think. Off a skip. And was there was there not a third one? I don't recall if I, there was a third one. I feel like we I should know this. It would have been uh, all uh, 16, I f- feel. Of course, yeah, no, it, I'm not on It's the interesting because that hole's played yeah, different. tell me. That hole has played differently throughout the year. Sometimes that area off to the right has been OB or Hazard. The area to the left, we've seen players attack we've it different ways. We've the basket ways. move. The we've seen the basket move for the, the last few years. Yeah, it's moved in different spots. Where they have A, B, B, A positions. They have two different mm-hmm. positions for it. And we didn't you see know, it so hardly, other than hole been. 17, we didn't see that this year. They didn't move baskets. Correct. 
um, other than yeah, 17. The, the, the baskets that have been most commonly moved for the last few years is we see 888 or a whole 13. That had an A and a B position. And then the other most common one that we saw get moved, uh, 17 and 16. Those are the three most common. I don't know if there's others, but 13, 16, and 17. Oh, and, and one year, whole 18 had a shortened Yes, right in the middle uh, position in the, in the open area. So, uh, I mean, it, it had been there before, but they also like a, they called it like the spectator spot so that they didn't yeah. go all the way deep so everyone could kind of see. But instead, they've just decided that hole 18 is best played in the long. And I agree. I think it's the, that's the best place. Uh, someone saying Jake Hebenheimer. Did he ace that? Yes, Jake. Yeah, okay. I, I was going to say it. And I believe there were three. It had never been three aced. This year. <laughs> and then there was three consecutive days of it getting aced. Uh, and then uh, Jennifer Allen, of course, had the ace on hole number one, which unfortunately we didn't really we didn't really see. She stepped uh, in front of it, of course, <laughs> which is, you know, I mean, she wants the vantage point. You know, you can't be mad about that. But uh, her and then Paige Pierce, uh, of course, getting or Wow. I just said that Paige Pierce. Paige Shue Paige got Shue. the ace on 17. You'd think I'd get her name uh, right here today. I'm like over three on. You are definitely over three. Yep. So. Um, yeah, I, I guess course-wise, I you know I don't know if I got much of a response that came in off the board, but I guess I was asking, do we like the rocks? Do we like the inlaid white rope on the ground that was that was recessed or trenched to some degree, and then the rocks that provided the visual? Uh, any take on that after seeing them? I I love the trenched rope. I do. I think I think it looks good. You can. You know, obviously, because the grass is gone, I love that they kept the grass long for the OB and hazard area. I think that is a ideal. They're, again, they're not the first person to do that, but it looked really good here. And a lot of people I saw complaining about the rocks because specifically, I think on hole nine or ten, I forget which ten. one. It, maybe it's ten. Probably ten. We saw Katrina. Yeah, we saw so. Katr- maybe nine. We uh, we saw uh, Katrina Allen hit the rock and stay out of bounds. We saw, uh, I forget who else we saw on camera hit the rock. I'm personally, this is just me, as long as those rocks are in the OB or hazard, I don't have a problem with them. I think that they, they provide a pretty good vantage point so you can generally see about where the OB is from the camera angle and from the player perspective. So I don't mind them. Do they add a little bit of randomness? Maybe. Yeah. But I mean, it's no different than a Mott stick, <laughs> uh, but it's, I, I honestly, I think the benefits outweigh the downside because it, it adds a little bit of class. Not going to lie. I think it looks aesthetically. I think it looks good. And I think that's probably yeah. worth it for the few stone hits that we might see. And I, I have to be consistent with my own take and say that I've said before about spectators. I don't care if a disc hits a spectator and they're and the spectators out of bounds. But players take that risk when they throw over an OB, whether you are forced to or whether because none of those players had to go at that green. There is a safe route to that hole that has no stones off to the right or left, depending on which hole you're going at. So you don't have to, you don't have to attack that. Um, 
So the fact that they were in from the OB, like, you know, a foot or two, I'm okay with it. Honestly, I am okay with it. Yeah, and uh, a comment has come in. A couple of people said they like it. They said, I think the stakes would have sufficed, but the different lengths of grass look great. Um, and real quick, truth be told, just like the rock, you could easily hit a stake and stay out of bounds. We've seen that happen hundreds of times. I mean, it's just uh, at that point, it's just a numbers game. It's going to happen. Does the rock have uh, a little bit more size or girth and overall? Yeah, it does. Uh, but I'm a mistake. You're a rock. I get it, Terry. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm good with that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the rocks were so much more uh, just overall uh, less plentiful out there as well. I mean, you think about how many stakes used to be put in the ground, Oof. you know, thousands of them probably versus the, the couple hundred rocks. And, you know, so size, quantity, whatever, all those things may or may not uh, all uh, come out in the end. But uh, somebody also said uh, the groundskeeper, the rocks are cool, but man, I hope they aren't there all year for the groundskeeper's sake. Um, a, a little birdie named Jonathan Poole, so the tournament event coordinator, director, organizer, uh, I had asked that question before the tournament started. I said, is the kind of the long-term play maybe leaving those rocks? And he talked about just that, the groundskeepers, uh, when things get mowed, how they get mowed, how far the rocks are placed from one another. If any of you are familiar with bowing and big decks, if you got any big deck knowledge, you, your wife, whomever, if you've got any kind of that knowledge, it talks about where you want to, uh, you know, far you want to place things, uh, from one another to make sure you can get around such. And then um, he said he loves, this is Jonathan Poole speaking, he loves the idea of, of some of those longer hazard areas to naturally just grow up even a little bit more. And maybe that becomes more prairie-like or, you know, something of that nature, uh, literally that nature. So I, who knows? I think those are negotiations and conversations they're still having. But that if you think about it too, that's that much less area you're you're constantly um, manicuring and and upkeeping as well. So it's pros really and cons. It's really funny because you mentioned like the distance between the rocks probably having to be at least you know fifty two or fifty six inches for those big decked um, mowers to go through. Depending on what you're doing, it reminds me of the was it the very first Pro Tour Championship where Nate Sexton slid out of the OB because they pulled a railroad tie so they could get someone in there to mow. And I was thinking like, yeah, you have to have certain amount of space to be able to get your stuff in and out. And that railroad tie or whatever it was, the railroad post was pulled out and he slid, he found the one spot and slid out of bounds. And I just think of uh, the, 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 the irony in now that we're actually thinking about these things like, Oh, we need to have, this specifically set up for this type of yeah and and, and to me this is a little bit more personal in the sense that i have worked with a lot of parks departments a lot of course design and when you go to places and that's some of the especially at schools you go design a course that's going to go on a school it might only be nine holes and it might be in the open because they have no other space or anything else to give you the the first thing i start to look at is okay how far away from the bat, uh, from the the property line or your mow line or or other equipment are we going to place this basket because the last thing uh, a groundskeeper or a custodian or an engineer at the school wants is another thing that they have to get out and specifically trim around or deal with as opposed to just taking their regular 
mower and be able to get through a certain area. So you learn to start thinking about those things. And a- anytime you're talking about a course design, you have to think about who's going to be upkeeping the course because uh, that that groundskeeper, when they find out that they have to get out and move something every single time they have to mow around a particular object, uh, it, you can lose support and favor real quick uh, from your local parks <sighs> department if they you don't think of those things at all. They sign like a five-year agreement. Just do whatever you want now. Just, <laughs> just, keep, just you know, put, put rocks wherever you want. Um, we do, though... Have someone in our Disc Baron Digital Green Room at this point. What? We do, we do. Um, Jonathan we, Poole's here to talk about the rocks? No, Jonathan Poole is not here Sweet. to talk about... I think he's busy still oh. caddying for Henna. <laughs> instead... Ah. Yeah, yeah. Instead, we have someone better. Someone who... Mm, yeah, someone better than Jonathan Poole. Someone... he, This guy caddied today for a gentleman... Do you think he you think he was a better caddy than Jonathan Poole? I don't know, but we can ask him. Ready? I'd like everyone to welcome to the show Gannon Burr. Hey Gannon. Hello. Welcome How's to the going? show, man. What's up, man? What's up? How you doing? Why are you in I thought I swear to God, you said in your interview you had a whole bunch of schoolwork to do. You were gonna go back to school, but today I see you in Charlotte. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to school after um, after this weekend. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Uh, so, uh, first and foremost, of course, congratulations. I can, we can only imagine what what kind of obligations, what kind of DMs, what kind of just massive overtaking local news back in Iowa. Like, how wild have these last three days been for you? pretty crazy you know just over i mean over a thousand messages overall with um you know all the different platforms um a lot of texts a lot a lot of texts and and dms on instagram and facebook uh so many different podcasts and um you know phone calls news stations i've been reaching out so it's been a busy last couple days and um yeah like you know like you said i was out there catting for thomas today is is this fame, uh, I guess, did you ever envision this? I mean, you, you've been around, you've watched disc golf kind of grow up. You've grown up on it and playing it and very much a, as a fan as well, obviously. But did you did you strive for this level of, of fame and or these new challenges of, of having media obligations? It, I mean, I, I don't know. It's tough to like... You know, I wanna I wanna just play disc golf to win and to compete, and then like the media obligations are, um, it's tough to juggle sometimes. So, uh, but you know, it's cool. It's definitely good to you know get my name out there, and uh, I want to do as many of these podcasts as I can. So really soak up this moment. Yeah, and and let me also tell you, there's a number of people that have reached out to me that have have really commended you on how well spoken you are how well you uh react in front of a camera you know just how well you do interviews all of those types of things and so first of all that's 100% a compliment i i think we all agree with that but my follow up to that is did you ever care or watch any other disc golfers or other sports figures and how they've conducted themselves you've grown up on youtube have you ever watched how other people, uh, you know, handle media obligations or is it just all natural to you? Maybe a little bit. 
like I, I like to watch interviews. I think they're fun to, you know, get the insight on what players uh, think and in different sports as well, but obviously mainly disc golf. Um, but most of it is all me. I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've always been decent, I guess, wording stuff in front of a camera. I feel like um, sometimes I stutter, obviously, but I, that, that just happens sometimes. Well, I feel like there's a camera on you a maybe 23 hours a day, you know, you hang out with Alden and Isaac and, you know, and you guys are always putting out. Yeah. You're probably looking over at them. They're probably pointing a camera at you right now uh, and waiting to do something, stick something in your ear or something crazy. Uh, but it feels like you guys are always recording. Alden's always putting out uh, the, these fantastic videos. One of the favorite things I get to watch whenever he puts them out is, do you think that helps you be calm? Not only in front of the cameras here, but also on the course where, you're constantly because I'm not going to lie. Sometimes our cameras get right in your face. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good to get like the silly part out when, you know, when you have to go to the course and be serious um, when you play. Um, it's I guess it gets me a little more comfortable the more cameras I have on me. Um, you know, once I obviously get like more experience with cameras, um, but they, I mean, cameras really haven't affected me at all. I kind of just maybe I've branched out a little bit more but that's pretty much it is there ever a time and i know you said they haven't really affected you but has there ever been a time where you feel like there's a camera on you and you're just like oh god i wish that camera wasn't on me is there has that happened to you um a couple times like like after like a bad shot or like i'm having a like a little bit of a frustrating round and i throw another bad shot and i'm just like visibly upset and then I look over and there's just a camera like on me. Um, you know, I want to just say to myself um, whenever that happens. But, you know, it's all a learning process. And I'm working on uh, keeping a more leveled head. And I think that's really what helped me uh, win USDGC is, you know, just getting angry and getting angry inside, not letting that, you know, my emotions, you know, come out on the camera and allowing that anger to push me to play better golf. I mean, I think we can all agree. Nobody expects you guys, any of our top players, to act like robots and be emotionless. I think it's just a matter of finding that right cap. You know, where where is that level and that limit before it's distracting to other competitors, it's distracting to the tournament, or it might be off-putting to the fans, but then also keeping yourself level-headed. Like, I think finding that right balance. Do, are you, are you feel, do you feel like you're kind of dialed in on that, like, happy medium or not yet? Um, it, it comes and goes sometimes, you know, sometimes it, it feels impossible to not get frustrated. And then other times, you know, during the year, it feels like no matter what happens, I just don't really care to get frustrated. You know, there's been a couple of tournaments, you know, I know worlds this year was a really tough one for me, maybe just cause I wanted to, you know, perform well. Um, it was kind of like a good chance for me to show up at a major and, uh, you know, I got like 14th is like, you know, one of my worst finishes of the year, which, you know, 14th isn't that bad, but um, obviously not what I wanted. Um, I remember just having a tough time keeping my emotions in check. And I I remember after that event, I just wanted to display, you know, a better headspace on the course for, you know, people to see. I don't want to get too angry. You know, I want to just stay level-headed, and I think it's helped my play a little bit as well. Um. You had said, I think it was to me specifically in the interview, that you know you really wanted the USDGC title. And I, 
obviously what most people talk about is Worlds and USDGC. You have USDGC now. This is officially in in your back pocket. You're you're still basking in that. But do you immediately think, okay, Worlds must be next? That's that's the one I'm definitely concerned with getting next. Yeah, I, I'm definitely gonna you know try my hardest, and I actually I like my chances at uh, at uh, uh, Smuggler's Notch next year for Worlds. Um, I, those are some courses that I've performed on pretty well the last few years for few years for GMC. And, um, you know, with the mistakes I've made, even during these tournaments at GMC, um, I've been very close to the top both times. So I think if, if I can clean, clean that up and, um, it seems I always have like maybe one not so great round or, um, at GMC. So if I can just clean that up for worlds and shoot five, just pretty solid rounds, there's no reason I can't win worlds there. Um, but you know, moving forward, I, I mean, I'm really I'm trying to win every tournament as much as the other. Um, for some reason, though, USDGC this year was something I wanted to win so bad, and I knew it was my last chance for the season to win a tournament, uh, like a round stroke play tournament. Obviously, Pro Tour Finals is a little different format, so um, I really wanted to win, you know, just a, a normal tournament. And this was my last chance, and I so I put everything into it, and um, you know, kept it confident and stable mindset and you know put my head down and got to work are are you surprised you won honestly because it's you're 17 years old you've really come on the scene this year i know you kind of debuted last year a little bit but this is your first full year on tour nobody expected a major win out of you i i at one point i said he's gonna get one i didn't think it was gonna be this year did you feel like you were gonna get a, a huge win this year going into the season yeah i I knew after how I finished last year, I got, I think I got 12th at USCGC last year playing pretty bad. It felt like, um, which is just like that kind of just shows how much that course plays to my game, my, the, the shots I throw and also my game planning, um, and how I, you know, approach a course. So I knew if I just actually played good this year, I'd, I would have a good chance to win. Um, I think, Sorry, can you rephrase the end of that question? I was question just saying there. if you expected a, a win this oh, year, a, a huge yeah. win. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I was definitely expecting one after I finished last season. Um, and then, obviously, right at Las Vegas, the first event of the year, I had an insanely good chance to win that one and, you know, threw one shot one foot too long, and then it was OB, and that's how I lost. It was just off that one upshot. And I told myself at USCGC, I'm not going to lose off an up, upshot again. Focus, throw it right know what mistake to make and don't make that so um uh you know obviously after being close you know four or five times the whole season to a win maybe not battling at the top but only losing by you know less four or less strokes um you know i knew it was definitely possible and this last like month of the season i've just felt dialed in my game has felt on point um like sometimes there's, there's always, like, one aspect of my game that's a little bit off. Um, I know, like, for USDGC, my forehand wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be, so I, I kind of stuck to backhands. Um, I obviously threw forehands when I needed to, but there's definitely holes where I threw forehand last year where I threw backhand this year just because I wasn't feeling as comfortable. Um, but, you know, I yeah, I, I think I definitely expected a win. And with how I was feeling with these last couple events, obviously having a chance to win Maple Hill, I... I knew that my time was going to come very soon. And uh, with all that pressure and, and the drive I had to win this tournament, I 
it just kind of felt like it was mine. Um, and my goal was just to be in it after round one. And I was, I wanted to shoot a five down or better. And I shot a six and then I, you know, kind of hung on the chase card until the final day and then really took it on the last round. Did you expect a 12 under at any point? Like, did you walk out on that course before the rounds uh, on, on Monday or Tuesday and say, I think I could get 12 here. I mean, because you said you expected a six or a seven. Did you think a 12 mm-hmm. was in the bucket for anybody? I, I remember originally thinking, okay, 20 under par could win this event. I think four or fives could win. And then I played a practice round. I think I shot nine down with three bogeys. And then I was like, okay, now I think, I mean, obviously practice rounds are a little easier because there's not pressure and you can kind of go for stuff and don't have to worry about it. Um, so if you're on in a practice round, you can shoot insane. But uh, tournament time is different because there's more consequences. Um, sorry. Um, I feel like I feel like I, I, you know, I kind of expected then 24, 25 to win. And then by the time the third round is over, I was already at like 21 under, I think. And then I ended up just I felt more comfortable on each hole as the week went on. Um, getting my game plans, throwing the shot in the tournament, seeing how it felt, playing the wind that I knew could, could potentially be on the holes, memorizing how you know the wind on one hole would affect the wind on another hole going the other way. Um, so having that knowledge, you know, I, I think it made it definitely a lot easier. And playing on the lead card, it, it pushed me to have to execute every shot. And um, obviously, I went par par, double bogey. Um, with, you know, I even threw OB on hole 11 and got to save the par there. Um, and then <laughs> I've said this many times, but I felt like I was out of it at that point. And then I went and birdied the last five holes, which, you know, I didn't really even think it was possible, you know, in that situation, in that kind of a situation, you know, playing for the, you know, one of our two biggest titles of the year. But, um, yeah, I, I think as the week went on, I kind of expected 20, 28 to win maybe and then to get to 33 was pretty crazy that's awesome now this is more about how you uh i I guess process the game if if we fast forward and this is a a little bit of a silly hypothetical but we fast forward a year from now and it's it's a week before usdgc so 51 52 weeks from now whatever and i say to you hey do you, do you remember what you took on hole seven round two last year in your win? Is that something that will come to mind for you? Or will, will by the time you get to that event next year, even though you, you know, it's the biggest win in your career, is, is that something that will likely just be in your distant past and something you won't even be, even be able to recall? Uh, I guarantee I'm saying, what kind of memory do you have is yeah. kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, I guarantee I'll know every single shot from the final round memorized okay. for sure. But um, sure, and I, I bet I'll, I bet I'll, I will know what I got in each hole. I just might not remember where it landed. But for the whole tournament, I bet I can tell you what I took majority of the time where I landed, and um, you know how I how I scored. Uh, and I guess the the follow up to that is is that because it was that tournament that you feel like that's how you feel or is that just kind of how you process golf and your your memory works at a lot of tournaments um i know i know actually before the pro two and i think matty o said this but like i used to go i used to be able to go to every single c tier i played and 
you know, in the past and from years ago and remembered every single shot and how it happened. But when on, you know, on tour, you play so many rounds and at all these different courses, it, it gets a little confusing. Um, I think depending on the, how the round went or the tournament went, I'm going to remember more. Um, if it was extremely bad, I might remember um, because I got in like maybe rough patches. Or if I shot extreme, extremely well, like I did at USDGC, it'll be pretty easy to remember because it was such a big moment. Okay. Now, uh, a follow-up, it's even on the board right now, and obviously, because everybody wants to be in everybody's business, and, and by and large, it's it's fun to be sometimes. Immediately, I, I, you barely had tapped in, and immediately people are, are claiming that uh, you're, you're going to get paid, you're going to get paid more, and you're <laughs> going to be with some other new sponsor. So while we're here, break down exactly where you sit, stand uh, for everyone so there's no more speculating because that seems to be the, like, the number two conversation right behind you winning is who you'll be sponsored by next and how much you're getting paid. So as much as you can share and wish to share, set the record straight. Yes, I'm currently on a uh, two-year contract with Prodigy that I signed at the beginning or during last year's offseason. So I'm with Prodigy until the end of 2023. Um, you know, we're going to be we're going to be working on a lot of cool stuff coming out soon. So, um, you know, with the win, I know we're, we're definitely going to step up our our uh, disc, uh, you know, stamp stamps next season. We're going to have a bunch of different ideas. Um, co- you'll look forward to cooler discs, different discs, um, new molds, and, uh, you know, it's cool discs for the players as well. So I think uh, next year is going to be a big year for Prodigy. And, you know, we've we've uh, already made a good step this year with improving our consistency, um, obviously manufacturing uh, some of our discs over in China. Um, and those are some of our, my favorite discs we've made. I, I've had, you know, got one at Las Vegas and it's still in my bag today. Um, the consistency is incredible. So I'm looking forward to, you know, more people trying those out in, uh, cooler designs and molds. Is there, I mean, I would think there is, is there a USDGC disc coming for you from Prodigy? And, and, and yes, what, if you can share, what is it? When can we get it? What, what are we, what are you expecting? Um, I believe so I know so I know for a fact I'll share what I think I can share um, I'm gonna keep it pretty on the down low but we're gonna be I know one of the discs will be bringing back an old plastic that hasn't been out for um, f- four or five years so that'll be really exciting um, and then that'll have my, my uh, stamp on it we're still working on it Um and then I'll, I will have a USDGC disc as well, which will be on a current run and mold, I believe. And then I actually led the season for Circle Two putting. So um, I'm known for my putting. So we're gonna have a you know I put with the 350 GPA three. So um, we'll have some of those available very very soon, uh, probably within the coming week. Awesome, um, and thankfully you know some of that stuff might. You know that you're working on could be a new, uh, you know, disc that's specific to you or, or or new mold or whatever. But at the end of the day, if you're putting with a relatively popular disc or you're throwing a popular disc, getting a, a commemorative stamp added to said disc seems like a, a quick way for everybody to support what's going on. Now, we already know this. We 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 saw some other long-term contracts. We'll talk about that later. We saw other long-term contracts signed today and, and discussed recently. 
there, there's a little bit of a gamble, honestly, on on you signing with someone for one or more or for more than one year, just like every company is taking a gamble on doing just that. What is it like to win the USDGC, this major? And then do you feel like there's an additional conversation that needs to be had? Or was, you know, an incentive or a bonus or something already kind of encapsulated in your current contract? I mean, are are you basically, I'm saying, are you basically sitting there thinking, all right, Prodigy, yeah, I just won this. We need to, we need to talk again. (laughs) Uh, I mean, a little bit, obviously, you know, we only have four majors a year and it's a, you know, USCDC is either, you know, it's right around the same level as world. So um, mm-hmm. definitely, you know, I'm going to be looking to step up. Uh, like I said, just Prodigy's disc game, helping them out as well as they help me out um, coming, you know, really just working together and coming out with, you know, cool new discs. And I, you know, obviously I have, you know, that title I can put on, you know, the, that disc or the discs for the rest of my life, you know, no matter what company I'm with, I'm always going to be, you know, the 2022 United States disc golf champion, which is in, insane to say. Um, so I think, uh, I think it's going to be a uh, uh, cool next year. Talk a little yeah. bit about well, your, your, the group that you tour with. You guys seem to be very close. You seem to have a lot of fun on tour. Um, what, what does it mean, not just to you, but to them that you guys could celebrate this together? I mean, this is a huge, you, almost all of you have a win now on the season and yours being the biggest. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can rub that in, but uh, My favorite talk, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have talk, talk about a little bit about your touring group. Yeah. So I, uh, first of all, the prodigy families, we're really tight. So um, it's a, the project family is amazing and, you know, we're pretty much all friends and we, you know, we always connect on discs and, uh, just talking about whatever. Um, but mainly it's, um, that are on pretty much full tour is Alden Harris, Gavin Babcock and Isaac Robinson. Um, I met Alden, I think maybe like the middle of last year, um, like 2021. I've, I've known Gavin, Gavin lives like 30 minutes from me. So I've known Gavin for like, um, since like 2017, 2018, probably, but didn't really talk with him until last year. Um, and when he started to get on the tour, um, just because he was from Iowa, we naturally kind of, kind of connected and, uh, I ended up, you know, helping him get on prodigy. And then, you know, he's been on prodigy ever since and has been very successful with a couple, you know, all his, all of his majors this year have been top 15, which is awesome. Um, so that's cool. And then, um, I met Isaac, I think. At Champions Cup this year, I mean, I think that's when I met Isaac Robinson, and then um, we've become really good friends just throughout the tour season. You know, he's friends with Alden, so Alden's kind of like the mutual friend between all of us. And then Alden kind of first met Gavin at Vegas last year or this year. So um, naturally, we you know we all had one kind of mutual friend, and then you know we kind of all started hanging out, and now it's obviously where it's become with the vlogs and everything, but. You know, we're the same people outside the vlogs. You know, what you see, what you see in the vlog is is how we act. You know, just with each other all the time. So, um, it's a it's an amazing yeah. group, and it makes tour a lot more fun. Yeah, there was a great shot of you coming up eighteen at USDGC, and one of our cameras turned and saw all of them standing there watching you. Um, did, 
did you say anything to them as you're coming up to 18? Did you see them or, or did you just wait? Did, were you focused on 18 to make sure to get that putt in? Because that was a hell of a dr- uh, Well, it was a great drive, but a hell of an approach that you threw to get up to there. And at that point, you kind of knew you had it. I mean, you even did a little bit of celebrating with Matt on the way up the uh, the fairway. Yeah. Um, well, I, the first thing I remember is I didn't know they were there until I got to like the tree where Calvin's drive landed. Um, <laughs> his drive was unreal. But um, so I didn't see them until then. They were kind of like behind like a fence and behind like a building or a tree almost. I had a hard time seeing them. But um, I remember seeing Alden, Isaac, and Gavin just kind of all a little spread out, but all within uh, like 10 feet of each other. And I was, I was like, when we're going like this, like how far am I from the pin? I wanted to know. I, obviously I heard the loud cheers, but I had no idea how close it was. If it went over the ledge, if it was short, left, long, who knows? Um, and our, the first thing I remember is Isaac being like, you're right there. You're only, you're that close. I didn't really get to, don't, they don't really talk to, I think I talked to him like for five seconds. I'm like, how far am I? And they're like, yo, you're pinned, you're bullseye. And then at that point I was like, okay, sick. I just won. Um, so that was awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is good news. That's pretty that's, awesome. Uh, uh, <laughs> great to get from them. Um, I, my my first word of advice is make sure you at least remain on good terms and friends with them until you turn eighteen. I'm I'm guessing you couldn't even check out uh, or check into the hotel that you're probably in right now <laughs> unless it was under one of their names. So you, you need to be yeah. friends with them until you're at least eighteen. <laughs> my mom will like book a hotel and it'll be it'll be always confusing because i never know like how to get in so usually it's like alden you know or gavin uh that will have to you know get an idea or whatever to check me into the hotel so you uh, took home uh, yes twenty five thousand dollars for this event you're 17 years old what do you do with twenty five thousand dollars like if it do, do you buy yourself something fun? Do you save it away for next year's tour? I mean, do you even need to think about that with your contract? Like, what is what does twenty five thousand dollars do for you? Um, straight to the bank savings account. I think. Um, you know, I don't. I don't really spend much money anyway. I don't. The only thing I really spend money on is like food. <laughs> but uh, you know, I might buy like a new pair of shoes every once in a while. But that's pretty much it. Um other than like a new iPhone or something. Um, I don't even really know what to spend money on. So it kind of just sits in the bank, I guess, but uh, it'll probably be used for tour next year. Um, whether I need like a van or something like that or, or lodging or just to pay for kind of everything. Yeah. And that, that was a follow-up is, you know, we just talked about all the guys that, uh, your friends with that are coming up with various solutions for touring around and, and for being on tour. Of course, you've kind of had this, um, I don't want to call it haphazard, but you've had this mixed approach to how you've been on the road. And when you're with someone and your parents or your mom's around or whomever, what, what is kind of the next step for you in terms of tour life? What does that look like? I mean, obviously the van build out feels like uh, everyone's solution. Is that, is that a possible solution for you? Yeah, um, I, ideally, I would like to just have a car and probably stay in hotels. That's just, okay. I mean, it's the nicest way to stay. You're always air-conditioned, shower, nice bed to sleep in every night. Um, and so it's a nice place to stay. But um, I don't know. I guess with, like, Gavin, Isaac, and Alden all doing the van, I might just end up doing that. I, I still honestly don't know yet. We'll find out this off season, but 
I still need to get my driver's license before I do any of that. <laughs> Jeez. You're so, you're so young. I mean, actually, let's... You're so young, yeah. Let, let's talk about that real quick. I mean, you're, you're 17 years old. You're still in high school, technically. Uh, what... Do the kids in high school have any... Like, do they care? Do you, do, do you see them? Like, when you go back to high school, what... Are, are, are they going to be like, oh, that was awesome? Do they watch, or is it is it kind of just what is? Um, it? I don't know. I don't. Know. I actually, I don't know how many people know about it in my school. I don't know if like a lot know about it, but just don't talk about it. I don't know if any anybody knows about it. I have probably about ten or I mean ten or less than uh, people that that will probably congratulate me about it. Um, I know there's a, probably two or three teachers that keep up with it now, which is really cool. Um, and you know they did a little quick news segment on me i know like a couple days ago so a lot of them you know watch the nightly news and they see that so uh, I'll, pro- I'll probably get around 15 people will recognize it i'm, I'm I was seeing say they have to they <laughs> go ahead johnny oh i was gonna i was just gonna say like I, what is high school life like for you like i'm i'm seeing right now we're seeing a bunch of pictures of kids going to homecoming and things like that like is that is that you did did you miss homecoming this year to go to usdgc like what is what what is what is school life like for you yeah i I just have zero interest in any of that stuff (laughs) um i don't have like a whole ton of friends a lot of friends in school maybe i mean i know like almost everybody in school because i've been to that the same district for like the last like eight years or whatever so um i've grown up with these kids and i know them just from having them in classes but I probably only have like four good friends that I still keep up with. Um, yeah, I just, I've never really been too attached to high school, even before I was like touring disc golf. Um, I just, school is something I, you know, it's really important, but I just wanted to get done with for the day and then go play some disc golf. So, um, yeah. It seems to work out for you. So. <laughs> Yeah. So what exactly, and I know we kind of made, you know, I made the, the comment during the interview and everything else, but like what, what's officially on your plate for what has to be done? Uh, because I think you're trying to actually graduate early technically, aren't you? Or, or what, what does it look like? Yeah. Or is this you all the way through May or is there a chance you're done in December? How's, how's, how does this have to play out for you? Um, I graduate in January, so um, okay. If everything goes right, I'll, I'll graduate in January, so I'll have the entire 2023 season to focus on just disc golf. And that's a follow-up that a lot of people have asked, so it's worth, again, setting the record. You're, you're planning on focusing full-time, touring full-time. Are, have you thought about uh, any kind of either remote college or any college at all, or is that just on the back burner, or, or maybe not even on a, a burner at all? What exactly do you see yourself doing come 2023? Uh, yeah, probably not any college until, um, I don't know, I, who knows? I, I think I'm just going to focus on disc golf and see where that takes me. Um, for as for tour, um, gonna most likely do only United States. No, uh, I know there's one silver series in Canada that I probably won't be going to. It's a little out of the way. And then I won't be playing in any of the European events most likely. So, um, Okay. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably play pretty much every single event in the U.S. Uh, and when do you turn eighteen? What's your social security number and your bank account <laughs> number? Okay, <laughs> okay, uh, okay. So it's not until May. Um, and then when you say 
you know, not necessarily, you know, thinking about the international travel is, is what's the reason for that? Because because now that you are the USDGC champ, especially, people are going, even more people are going to want you, you know, coming and playing at their big courses, their, their best courses, their big events. Uh, any particular reason why you don't see yourself doing international stuff? I just feel like it's not worth it going for two events. That's pretty much it. It's okay. just super far from home. Um, it's, you know, it's confusing. You got to plan way in advance. It's stressful to think about. You're in a whole other country. I've, yeah, I've never even been to another country before. Um, mm-hmm. I'm only I'll only be 18 at the time of that, when that comes around, and you know, who knows? Maybe I'll want like a month off. So um, I could use that to benefit my game for you know when they come back to the U.S. Um, I just feel like financially it's not really worth it that much and if it was like seven events in europe i would go but it's literally two events that last like two weeks i just feel like there's no point yeah no i uh, and by all means no judgment i I just think a lot of people will then be speculating or asking but speaking of we'll say slower or off season planning and whatnot I, I i briefly spoke to your dad and did, did i hear correctly there's there's a chance you're moving out of iowa is is that you the whole family or what's kind of the plan there or is there a plan yeah, my dad moved to florida uh, just recently in the tampa area and um so i'll i'll stay in iowa um and none of this is like final we'll just do whatever happens but um I was looking to go down to Florida maybe for like two to three weeks, possibly like probably around that two to three week week range um, before like Vegas, just so I can um, just go down there, uh, get, you know, it's going to be better weather, obviously, you know, in Iowa, we're probably going to have like a foot of snow and I'll get zero practice. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, I would definitely not moving there, but um, I'll probably might probably go down there for a couple weeks to get warmed up and then see my dad and kind of just check out some disc golf down there. Okay, I I may have misinterpreted what he was saying, but he did mention Florida, and that's what had me thinking about it. And obviously, we've seen, uh, you know, Paul move down there, or is you know has just recently acquired a new house down there. Paul and Hannah, uh, Ricky Waisaki has talked about being down there. It feels like kind of this trend we've seen, you know. Uh, uh, Paige Pierce recently moved down there, the Oakleys, so on and so forth. Um, uh, one other question, and this speaks maybe to, I, I guess, the jokes we were just kind of making about your age. Not even jokes, but the references. Do you find that disc golf, uh, how, how do you feel about disc golf being, I feel like, somewhat ageless in that here you are talking with two 44-year-old guys on a podcast on a Wednesday night. Literally but, half your age. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. Um, One third. But just the fact that you're... <laughs> Not yeah, quite. Yeah, exactly. Punk. Closer. Closer. <laughs> uh, but the fact that you've got, you know, everyone from the 20-year-old Nicholas with you to, you know, Paul and then Barry Schultz in the division. And everyone else in between, and, and sometimes a Johnny McRae. And, uh, and that's not just the open division. I think that's our entire sport. feels like it's just such a huge age you know, range. Does that feel weird, or you ever thought about that? Does it matter to you at all? It's, it's not really. Uh, it's really cool to see that, though, um, knowing that I'm so young in the game where I'll have a, you know, if I, keep, if I stay healthy, I can, I mean, 
I think we'll have a good test to see how how long he can really play at the top level for with um, like Ricky, Paul, um, or just some like the around thirty year old players right now. You know, we'll see in the next like ten years how they hold up and how they can still see if they can perform at the top level or not. Um, you know, it's it's really cool to see that. It gives me you know, it's cool that disc golf is a sport where there's so many different aspects to it. You know, we obviously still play in the woods and you need finesse. You need to know how to play wind. You can shot shape and, you know, placing your disc is more important than just ripping it. Obviously, you know, I've some places you do just want to throw as far as you can, but most of the time you want to place a disc in bounds and execute, you know, your game plans. We all play disc golf a different way. And it's, you know, it's not like basketball or football where you need to be like physically super athletic and you can only play to like you're 35 and then you're done. You know, disc golf is a sport you can play for so long and still be competitive in it. Yeah, it's I I think fair or not, I feel like that's one thing that has definitely been so appealing for so many players and for now the fans and everyone else in between is that it just doesn't age feels like it's so not a factor in our sport. We love seeing the new young talent, but at the end of the day, we have all different ages playing sometimes on the on a lead card at the end of a tournament, and it's it's been absolutely crazy. So uh, we'll quickly segue over to, and we'll start to let you go, but I want to quickly touch on, uh, of course, you were caddying out there today. Give us a little insight uh, for how you feel about the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship. You mentioned that it's a different format. It's not just it's not just, just straight-up stroke play like you have at a lot of tournaments, most tournaments. But give us a, a quick thought or insight as to this weekend. What what should we be expecting? Yeah, I think we're going we're gonna to see, you know, different players come out, I feel like, like come out on top or, you know, we're going to see different players um, advance because it's, it's in the thick woods, and you need to be very accurate. Place your disc. We're going to see who has the best game plan, who can execute that. And if you're comfortable with hitting your gaps, you're going to do pretty well out here. Um, the course is really sick to play casually, but I'm not a huge fan of it in tournaments, especially one where we're playing for the biggest payout of the year. Um, when, you know, like 16, 17 of the holes are all in the dense woods, it just kind of makes it feel a gimmicky in some way where, you know, I mean, the north there, the 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 rough is almost like Northwoods black in some spots. So it's it's really bad out there. Um, if you if you get off the fairway, which you know, you sometimes you deserve a kick and sometimes you don't. So I'm not a huge fan of mm-hmm. the entire course being one dimensional. There's a lot of like right to you know straight to you know right leg dog leg par fours. So it's a the course is really repetitive. Um, it's definitely definitely a cool course though. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to play it myself to see how I can do. There's a lot of hyzer flips, which I'm not great at. So I'm interested to see how I can, you know, play through that challenge. But um, I think if I just play my game, I'll do just fine out there. And like I said, we're going to see some players that maybe haven't done amazing this season, this season that might, ha- you know, do well out here. Kind of just like how we saw with Nathan Queen last year. Well, hopefully you learned did, from Thomas anything... which trees not to hit. Because <laughs> Thomas hit every tree. He, Terry made a funny yeah, exactly. joke, like, like if Thomas is playing tag with the trees, he's winning. Like it's there was yeah. there was a there was a strip where uh, Thomas yeah. just couldn't miss a tree. It was uh, yeah, it was some rough golf today. Little, yeah, conditions were little like just kind of wet and like rainy. It rained for like super light rain, but 
like just a little bit of annoying for probably five of the holes. And then it was just the ground, the trees, the tees were really terrible. The tees were really like almost unsafe. Um, you know, the players were having to slow down, causing a couple shanks. I know a lot, a lot of the forehands were getting turned over because, you know, we don't want to like die on the tee pad, which is just kind of unfortunate, but hopefully we won't have any more uh, rain come in. But, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was good to get a look at the course and see how other players play it. And, um, you know, I'll probably be walking with Alden tomorrow when he plays his first round. So, um, you know, I'm going to really get my game plan dialed in. I think it's me and Alden play very similar games. We throw a lot of flex shots and we throw a lot of putters in mid ranges. So hopefully I can kind of, um, you know, talk with him during his round and you know, either help him out or he can help me out with some of the shots that he's going to throw. Okay. Is there, well, I guess you, you said that there, there could be an unusual suspect. Do you have, do you have anyone in mind, anyone that you're, you, you're looking at and you're thinking, man, this, this person, absolutely a contender this weekend. Gavin Babcock, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, this guy, <laughs> Mr. Hey, Harris. Buddy. <laughs> How's it going, pal? How you doing? Good. Going good. This guy's going to win. All right. Oh wow. That's a that's quite a bit of confidence. I like it. I like it. Alden, uh how do you feel about a a comment like that? Um, Where he's picking you to do well. Maybe a little more pressure on me now, but he believes I can do it, so I believe I can do it. Oh, I mean, I think both of you have have the skills. It's funny. I was thinking of of the group that you kind of uh have gravitated around. You've other than Gavin Babcock, you've uh, you've all had like a big win. You, you've all had like a silver series, and I mean, he had the ten thousand dollar ace. So, and everyone got to yeah. see him shirtless. So he's it, had it, his it moment. Like, he, he's had his moment. Well. But I mean, maybe maybe it's Babcock. Maybe he gets the win, and everybody walks away with a win this year. I don't know. <laughs> Unfortunately, Gavin missed the play in by I know one. Yeah, he was he was out today. It was. Mm, I, I'm so he, sad. Yeah, but uh, it was sad to see Gavin leave for Iowa. But um, <laughs> hopefully, maybe Isaac or Alden can defend the turf. Uh, I think Isaac could have a good chance out here as well. He's it seems like an Isaac course, just like mm-hmm. get super lucky, you know. Uh, <laughs> throw a bunch of throw a bunch of good mid range shots, and you know, play consistent, make his putts. Uh, so, who speaking of that is Isaac? Would you say Isaac is the most lucky of the three of you? Is that the is that the kind of the deal? He he gets the most breaks. Of course, that's that's the only reason he went Idlewild. It's the only reason. Wow. All right. Well, we're going to let you get going. You guys probably have a relatively early morning tomorrow, and you guys are on the East Coast right now. But before we let you go, Terry's frozen, and he looks really strange. So he's very frozen. He's he's spying on someone off screen. Um, Why don't you go (laughs) ahead and... Why don't you go ahead and thank your sponsors and everybody else that you'd like to thank uh, before we let you go. Let everybody know how they can support you on tour. You and obviously Alden and your whole crew. Uh, give our viewers a breakdown of what they can do to help you out. Yeah, um, I want to thank Prodigy Disc um, for the discs. Wander Disc Golf for my apparel here. Um they also make all my jerseys. So if you want to buy one of my jerseys that I wear with the icebergs, it's on wanderdiscgolf.com. So go check those out. Um, then uh, disc.usa, check those out. Um, the Disc Barn and Titan Disc Golf, um, my local retail store. So those are my sponsors. And um, 
to support me, like you, like I said, you can buy my jerseys. Also, go check out my 500 and 400 D one on the on projectdisc.com. Um, the 500 D ones are, are really amazing. They, they've been flying, you know, straight and over, straight and over stable. A lot of the team players have been bagging them. I know, I know, Gavin's bagging one. I occasionally put put one in my bag, and Thomas Gilbert has been loving his as well. So they're really good flyers. So go check those out, and uh, you know, stay tuned for um, more more discs from me, Alden, Isaac, and Gavin in the future. We're going to hopefully be working with Prodigy to you know incorporate some cool stamps into our stuff. So you can probably buy those in the future to help us out. All right, Terry, you have anything you want to wrap up with or just close it out? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just cut out for a second. But um, I just want to say yet again, congratulations. Uh, what what an honor to be there. I, as I've watched so many of the USDGC champions, this historic event, and then just seeing people like yourself and, of course, all the greats that have come along uh, and someone you look up to and Will Schusterich and, and your McBest, your Kennys, your Berries, and all the champions, the very small but yet – uh, incredible group of people that have won the title at the USDGC, including my tech support, who is just here, Nate Doss. Uh, it, it's it's such uh, a special breed of people that have been able to tame what is the Winthrop Arena in in whatever capacity or format it's been issued in all these years. So I, I can't say it enough. Keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome to see, you know, you have so many people rooting for you. You've got a lot of big fans, including us, and uh, we wish you the best of luck this weekend. And you never know, we might, we might have to have another talk after you're putting another $35,000 check in your bank account. So we wish you the best <laughs> of luck. Be and awesome. Thank you so <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I don't know if you need the Barbasol for the shave yet. I don't know if you're, I if you're working on that, but... Uh... <laughs> You can send uh, but, it to Gavin. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you'll you'll still take the check and and uh, and I'm sure a sweet trophy and uh, and the praise and accolades that go along with it. So again, Gannon, congratulations! Thanks for joining us. Have a great week, and uh, maybe we'll see you later a little later this week on on the live show. We appreciate you, buddy. Hopefully, thanks for having me, guys. Have a good night, guys. Of course, thank you, guys. See ya. Good night. Bye. That was Alden Harris yeah, and uh, Gannon Burr, two of our youngest upcoming stars from the Prodigy team. Terry, what an amazing story in general Gavin is, but just the 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 way that Prodigy was pointed or looked at at the beginning of the season, losing Cat, losing Chris Dickerson. Like it, people looked at Prodigy like, well, who they, gosh, who do they even have now? Like they're going to be, there's nobody sure. on their team. And then suddenly it's like th- they took these <laughs> young kids and are like, oh no, we have, we have the second coming of the tour. We, we have Alden. We have Gavin. We have Thomas Gilbert. We have Gannon Burr. We have Isaac Robinson. Those guys are going to be winning on our tour for the next probably 10 years, assuming they keep it up like it's what an amazing yep. story for prodigy honestly and almost nobody saw it coming yeah it uh it's it's clearly they're having fun with it clearly uh they're all these skilled individuals that then uh get along really well and and uh, you know enjoy the touring life together and and have these shared interests and everything it's it's absolutely awesome to see and uh congratulations you know yet again and i'm I'm glad he also you know wanted to could easily address uh i i don't know what the fascination is with like i said his trophy it was 
was barely even set down and people were already concerned about where he may or may not sign uh, with in the future. And then obviously it's come out that not only is he, but he's, I mean, he's contracted through next year. So right there, that should simmer everyone down, but just this, this weird fascination with it uh, of like that being the next biggest story. And it, it just doesn't even need to be in it my opinion, but we've seen, in the past, other players that have, you know, maybe don't have a rock solid contract or even if they have a pretty solid contract still leave for other other pastures. Um, Ricky, he had a year left with Innova and still left to go back to DD. So I can kind of understand. And especially as we're now we're getting into the, you know, the hot stove, the silly season, you know, when everybody's going to start talking about contracts and who's who could leave and who's going to stay and this and that. I mean, I, I understand the fascination with it. I had heard, I think, earlier in earlier in the year that he had signed the extension. So I, I don't believe that there was any movement from him. And it really, truly, the way he talks about Prodigy, and maybe he's just, I mean, he's 17, but maybe he's just good at putting on a, 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 a solid front face for the company. But it feels like he, he's very happy with Prodigy. He's got his solid crew he's got the whole you know he always looked up to will schusterick it, it just really seems like a, a a good fit for him um and not to say he'll be there forever but it, it's right now that is he seems very happy so well i mean until we create drama yes i mean it sounds like everything's just fine so oh for sure again <laughs> can uh uh, congratulations to him and uh into all of his his sponsors and supporters and you know obviously he went out there through the shots and and made the win happy but you we all know that anytime anyone's successful on the course or in any capacity there's naturally going to be some people in his corner whether they're you know and there's a light on them or not there's people in your corner uh support a network a group whatever the case might be it might be one might be 101 people mm-hmm. but there's always people right there behind you uh helping with that success and there's no doubt that he does as well as as we've seen quite a few of them so and it really feels like the congrats the, the crew that he's hanging with is, is a very is, will be very good for him being so being 17 whether you like it or not you're still a kid you're still impressionable you're still yeah you know there, there's so, some influences out there that i that he could be partnered up with that might not be as beneficial like us you know, if we were touring with him, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> come on, come on. For the most part, if people we, don't know this already, for the most part, we were we were good kids. We would we would use him as a designated driver. We didn't driver. find any real great. trouble. We we never found real <laughs> we never trouble. We never, we never found jailable offenses. We we've had our own fun, but we, we you know we were never too hardcore. No, 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 no. All right, let's That's talk about some everybody. Let's talk about some other uh since we're talking contracts, we've got two big contracts that were announced in the last week. Um the first one was Kyle Klein re-upping with uh Dynamic Discs for four or it's not Dynamic Discs, right? Discmania for 4 years. Um and they while there was no details, there's no details given, it was just kind of they said uh, a six figures a year is really kind of what it had said. Guaranteed. Guaranteed six figures a year. So you can kind of just make the assumption it's around $100,000. So way to go. That's, there's, un, unless they count the, the, the cents. So yeah, I ma- mean, if you're it's a thousand, it's at least clearly. Yeah. yeah I mean, by, well, by 
by literal letter, mm-hmm. you know, of the law there or whatever, taking it literally, yes, you're assuming it's at least a hundred thousand. Now, I mean, we don't know. That could be two hundred and ninety nine thousand. That could be nine hundred ninety nine thousand. Unlikely, uh, <laughs> but yes, at least one hundred thousand. The way it seems like a, then, most of these contracts are going is you're getting a guaranteed amount. So you're guaranteed a hundred thousand, we'll say a hundred thousand dollars, but then you can go above and beyond with disc sales. If your disc sales exceed X amount a lot of times, and obviously everything's going to be a little different, but the base is usually what the guaranteed is. So, you know, Oh look, that includes, we'll just say play pretend that includes 5,000 discs, anything above 5,000 that you sell, you will get bonus. So he could make a hundred thousand or he could make up to, you know, 300,000 who knows like what the numbers are so that's kind of the way most of these contracts are written uh yeah and it's interesting because as just as people on the board are saying there's going to be this this fluctuation of ndas you know non-disclosure agreements and then some that are very openly shared and I, I, I'm good with NDAs. Obviously, I don't have. I've said it a million other times. I don't. It's not our. It's not our right to know what anyone makes. We're all interesting, uh, interested, nosy people. But outside of just being um, nosy, it's it's not our really, quite frankly, our business or our right to know what people make. We just we everybody I think just loves to be in the know and has some idea. Uh, and and it continues to be said, and I saw it plenty today with both Kelvin and Kevin. Or wow, now I'm screwing up with both Kelvin and Kyle's being announced. A lot of people have said, uh, you know, what are the details? We need to know the details. You know, that that's that's how the sport gets bigger. That's blah blah blah. Like it helps. It can, it can as we've help. Said bef- it can, but. but as we've said before, that benefits and usually empowers players more than it does the businesses. So not everybody always wants those numbers to be public. Uh, that, that still, at the end of the day, it's their business; they can choose to share with with uh, what they want. So, and then that leads right into our second contract talk with uh, Calvin Heinberg signed a five year extension with Innova. There were a lot of rumors going around that he was going to leave Innova. Um, we had seen during before his last contract extension he had talked with other manufacturers uh i believe the beacon sports management was his was it beacon or was it uh was yeah, it was that it is beacon it yep. is beacon that's that's his uh agent so he worked you know there's innova now working with agents after they said that they they did not that wasn't their primary way of dealing with players now they kind of have to be on board with these with things so kelvin signs a five-year agreement through the year 2027 i guess that means he's not going back to engineering the engineering world just you know cried a little bit i mean maybe it's an off-season gig not sure he was ever really in the engineering world but yeah wasn't it chemical engineering uh, I mean, he got his degree there, but yeah. one could argue he never went and got a job no, there. No, so he never like, got it. He never. I, got and a I job. only say that because I saw some people bickering recently oh, about nah. um, his engineering, his his engineering uh, uh, career, and and or his engi- yeah his his career. And I just think oh, well, he probably had an internship at some point. Define a career. But so. either way, z- uh, th- there were zero details regarding his contract. A uh, lot of speculation. It's funny because I think of Gannon and I think of Calvin and they're very, I feel like their skills and their, their 
their level of play is very similar right now. Both are have been performing extremely well. You know, uh, Gannon Burr is 17. Calvin is, what, 24? 23, 24? I feel like a little older than that, but I don't maybe maybe he's, maybe he's twenty six. I don't know, but that sounds closer. Th- there, you have to right away wonder like, what does Calvin quote unquote deserve? I mean, we've seen contracts. Ricky Wysocki, a million a year. Chris Dickerson got like, uh, was it two hundred and fifty a year? Billion. Not a billion. I, I, it might have been two hundred and fifty a year or something from Discraft. I'm, I'm or one hundred twenty five. I, I forget exactly. But Paul McBeth, ten year, that, but. ten year, ten million. Um. So where does the guy who is one of the top performers on your team, who is one of the top performers in our sport, but hasn't quite yet nailed down that major that Gannon just nailed down? So what does that put Gannon's worth at? What does that put Kelvin's worth at? Like. It's a five-year agreement. I personally, I mean, I, I have zero input, zero idea. But knowing what those other two top players got and where Calvin is, I sp- completely speculate. It feels like he's worth three mil, two to three mil over those five years. Like, no, no, I, I do have some information, not from Calvin, but from other players on what they're getting and bonuses and things like that. That just feels like a right number to me. And I, I, I don't know. He might be getting 250000 a year. I, I don't know. And then a bunch of sales. We'll, you know, we'll never probably know because I do believe, like I said, Calvin has an NDA. He's not allowed to talk about it. Um specifically about numbers but it just that's the number to me that sticks in my head that that two to three million over five years seems right for calvin based on what our other top performers are and and a lot of what we've seen depends on your disc sales so you know you know of smashy on the show ryan pilcher and i have had the discussion about i, I don't even know if calvin is a top 10 uh pusher of discs Compared to your Macbeths, your Wysockis, your Paige Pierce, you know, uh, Simon, Eagle, those. I, I don't know if Telvin, if Telvin, if Calvin cracks the top 10. I think he's probably close, but I don't know what he's, I, I don't know what his discs sell. I know his Halo Destroyers go pretty fast. Um, it sounds like some of the other, uh, the Dracos probably go relatively fast, but. You know, the, he's got with the Draco and the, with the Millennium and the Toro with with Innova as well. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it's hard to say how how many are selling versus how fast and what the quantity is that are being produced. But I think he does okay for himself. So, and he seems as long as he's happy with it, he's a very smart guy. He worked with a, a agent, so he didn't have to hopefully worry about any of that. And it's a done deal now. Calvin's off the market for five years. Did I tell you about these incredible discs that I traded with him recently? Oh um, I was I was Those actually literally standing next soon. to you when he when you had a stack of discs for him to sign. He took them away from you and said, "I'm going to keep these discs, <laughs> and I'll give you something else." And what Terry. did I say? 
I said I no, oblige. No, I, well, I, it wasn't quite that well, quick. Well, maybe not right away. <laughs> you, you were a good negotiator. And to be fair, Jeremy Colling, Jeremy Colling yeah. also pulled on them and said, oh, I love these too. And I took them out of Jeremy's hands and put them back in Kelvin's. <laughs> said, well, these have Kelvin's name on them. Yeah. Uh, Kelvin has first dibs. Uh, yes, if they had Jeremy's even. name on them, if they were some of Jeremy's Thunderbirds or other discs, then maybe uh, Coling would have had first dibs. But in this case, Calvin did, and I'm glad to have um, a, a bin of those still stashed that Calvin may be asking for for years. We recently made a, uh, a solid trade, and mm-hmm. uh, for that, I very much appreciate him as well. So. Yeah, Calvin Anyway, is well, good congratulations people. to the two of them, uh, to both of them. I'm going to assume if there's a big announcement about both of them getting these contract extensions, both of them are are happy with said deal. And so at the end of the day, all we can do is just be happy for them, whatever whatever that may or may not mean, um, you know, for them and, and their careers or or their to some degree, just probably their sanity is maybe an extreme phrase, but just their overall security and confidence of saying, you know what, I'm not dealing with this for a couple of years. I'm not going to have these awkward conversations. I'm not going to have to, you know, negotiate back and forth, you know, whether I have an on or off year and all these other things. There, there's definitely a comfort, I'm sure. And there's also a roll of the dice, just as I mentioned earlier. There's always a roll of dice. But uh, I think you can say that about literally every multi-year deal that exists. Somebody's taking some form of a gamble. It's just calculated, and, and hopefully it benefits you as much as possible. So best of luck to both of them. Uh, it It's funny how they just kind of came out, and I'll say out of nowhere, maybe because I just wasn't expecting or... You know, we're at a stage, Johnny, and I think this is part of what makes our free agency offseason, you know, uh, time of year so interesting is that someone like Gannon, he's a great example. Tomorrow it could be announced that he has a, a three-year extension, even though we didn't think he was on the market or that was a conversation, but he was locked into the end of next year anyway. And so just like that, we could say, oh, well, Gannon's got a three-year extension, and then that becomes part of the news cycle. So... Uh, it's not we're finally getting out of this old norm of it's just free agents. And what are they doing? Well, yeah, some people are locking in and putting a ring on it and getting getting hitched now already for extended years. Well, I mean, clearly that extensions wasn't. can happen anytime during the season. You know, as you that, said, it could. Yes, exactly. There's a free agents almost always happen right after the first of the year. You know, if let's just use Eric Oakley as an example, because he doesn't have a primary disc manufacturer. I know he's works with Infinite or, or a Nico or a. Or a Drew Gibson at any point they could announce a, a long-term deal with a particular manufacturer. So it's, yeah, I, I, we are uh, while you're at it. You just, you kind of just happened to bring him up. Uh, there was a post recently by Nico LaCastro where he was thanking his, uh, you know, supporters. any sponsorships and help and supporters. Obviously we're going to see him in the, you know, come back here in 2023. We've talked about that. Just the fact that his, uh, his suspension was, his was suspension. reduced from nine months to six months. Yes. Yeah, so what I wanted to say, if I, I really wanted to actually quote him, if I could find the problem is he has like six Facebook accounts. And so, uh, I, I, I lose, I do lose a little track of which ones is actual, uh, current up to date one, but maybe it was on it. Maybe it was on the IGs. I think that's what the kids call it, the Instagrams. Uh, he had maybe we already talked about it, but he had made a post thanking everyone. Um, I don't know where it went, so it must be uh, maybe it's even old. But just saying, he's he's entertaining the idea of looking 
for a uh, a singular disc manufacturer, or he may have a mixed bag next year. I think he's just mm-hmm. basically saying I'm open to uh, any of the possibilities. So we'll see what if that ends up being part of the new story and the new cycle for next uh, next season or not. Um, I had something else clever right on the tip of that that I'm not recalling now. I don't know. Well, other PDGA, right, um, I was to say, some other PDGA news. Yeah, oh, that's what I had. Go ahead. Oh, the, the PDGA just released an app version of their live scoring uh, system. Their web, it used to be a web app where you'd have to go into you know PDGA Live slash whatever, and you could log in there. But now there's an actual downloadable app for iPhone and Android that will uh, basically has a, a searchable rule book right in it because i always used to download the pdf of the rule book onto my phone and so i would have it but you know then you have to kind of open it up now you've got the pdga app which has the built-in live scoring not only can you find the live scoring for other events but you can actually enter and do live scoring there you go terry hey, don't show everyone my phone number um <laughs> so so if, if you haven't already Go to pdga.com, look for their, they've got an article with a link, or you can just look up PDGA Live uh, in whatever app store, and please go ahead and download that. Make sure you have that. There's no excuse. We used to joke that there's no excuse why everyone shouldn't be carrying a, a rule book with them, but that was when it was paper, and it was held together by two staples. Our rule book is a little bit bigger yeah. than that now, so putting it in a PDF form or a, a web application, a searchable web application is great. Because you can look up even common terms like foot fault, and it will show you like stance violations and things like that. So, by all means, go ahead yeah, and get and, it. It works out great. Uh, one of the one of the other primary features to it is the fact that now, uh, oh here I have it downloaded. I downloaded it the day I saw that it had come out. Uh, it's in four other languages besides English. So, uh, which is pretty cool. I feel like there, I thought I even saw there were more, but as I'm seeing right now, it shows that there's at least four other languages beside English. Uh, it has the Q&A, which is an official extension of the rules, so to speak. It's got the competition manual, which furthers uh, and, and explains a few more of the rules in depth. And then it has the actual rules uh, as stated. And then it has the appendix A, B, C, and D all out there and then like you said johnny uh for finding tournaments and leagues that are taking place very quick very easy out there and available so great to see um so nice work by the pdga in uh, getting that up and running of course some people are saying well is this to compete uh you know with udisc or any other apps that are out there yes Uh, maybe yeah to some degree and and truth be told as much as we also love udisc the PDGA is currently our governing sanctioning body, and for them to have some of these tools and resources makes perfect sense as well. Uh, and you can say one's better than another, one has more features than another. There's always going to be some discrepancy there, but uh, for for everything that's offered here, I mean, let's be fair, not everyone that's on UDISC or finds or uses UDISC is a PDGA member or is he finds the PDGA and then vice versa. There's plenty of people that will use UDISC that will, you know, have nothing to do with the PDGA and, and so on and so forth. Maybe I just said that twice, but yeah. And I know UDISC, way, does, you know UDISC I mean. has league options. Well, now so does the PDGA with their live scoring, but the PDGA obviously has to support, you know, 4,000 events. Yeah, 4,000 events 
a year or whatever they're doing. UDISC doesn't have to do that quite yet. Um, UDISC has obviously detailed scoring as far as, you know, C1, C2 scrambles. The PDGAs doesn't support that yet. Um, I'm, I'm hoping in the future they do because I think it could be really cool to have those type of statistics for events that UDISC doesn't cover. So if, if, if you go to your local B tier and you're using PDGA Live, and by the way, just so everyone knows, PDGA Live does also work during Pro Tour events. It is the official scorecard. UDISC is not an official scorecard. For instance, today we saw um, a, a par discrepancy on UDISC on hole 18. Uh, I don't know if it was on PDGA Live or not. Actually, I don't know if this event is on PDGA Live. Yeah, I was just going to say. Because, because of the formatting of it. But either way, the PDGA Live is the official scoring of the Pro Tour. UDISC does the like the stats, more or less, and the public side facing for for those particular stats. But anyway, so if you ever, for ever, for ever reason, whatever, UDISC or the PDGA goes down, you can always check the, uh, the other one for Pro Tour events. So at some point, I hope the PDGA uh, does... does uh, Detailed scoring is what I'm saying. Uh, The other thing that I I know we briefly uh, prefaced last year or last year. Wow. (laughs) Words are getting tougher. uh, That we uh, prefaced last week is that the as of Tuesday, there was just a conversation about a PDGA related survey that was to come out. And Mm. and without getting into a, a ton of it. Uh, a few clarifications that I do think uh, are worth making is that this was put together uh, not exclusively by Justin Menichelli. I, I know there's been a lot of messages. His name is on it. He is, of course, associated with the university. I've also heard plenty of hate and other nasty, vile things. I, it's, for the sake of clarification, he did not sit down and he did not construct that survey word for word, as I know a lot of you uh, have either assumed or or, uh, well, assumed, I guess, is the best possible word. Um, I We very much have talked about how it, it came across as very awkward. There was some uh, wording that was seemingly took, as, as I think most people said, they felt like it took an awkward turn or it, it went sideways quickly well, or whatever the phrasing that was used. I can understand all of that. Um, I, I also have read plenty of uh, people and responses that have said, I'm in academia, I'm in places that construct surveys and do things of this nature and by the codes and the standards and the obligations that are put together when surveys and research of this nature takes place, this is 100% in line with how typical research surveys of this kind are conducted. I think the disconnect and maybe part partially, I, I don't know if I can blame us, but I think one small disconnect or communication lapse was just that I think a lot of people, when when they saw and got the notification that a survey was coming out, for the most part, if if they thought as they thought it as the PDGA has constructed this this uh, very brief, very quick, very easy survey that's going to get right to one and only one topic exclusively with like three questions, and that's all it's going to be. And so when it turned out to be so much more than that, I can understand how it was confusing and off putting, but. So take it for what it's worth. The survey is all closed up. Uh, I, I know there were an absurd amount of, not absurd, I, that's not a right word, uh, copious amounts of responses. Uh, I'll be interested to see if we get those numbers. I, I know they're in the tens of thousands 
of responses that came in. So we're clearly going to, they're going to, they're going to, I'm not seeing any of it. They're going to see uh, these responses that come back and they're going to do their data, their research, all these other things that smart people that are smarter than you and me combined, Johnny, they'll figure out. But this was not constructed and assembled and written by the PDGA medical committee or one individual uh, that any of us know. This was a team of people that had put it together and uh, very much fell in line, from my understanding, with other research that gets done. I'm going to be. And I know you guys can all blast about it and get wild, and that's fine. But <laughs> I'm just laying out a few facts for you, uh, as as provided to me. I'm going to be very disappointed if there's more responses to this than there were votes for board members. There were, because it was all sent to just because it was sent to PDGA all PDGA members, right? Not uh, I've, there's a stipulation where they spelled it out, but I don't believe anyone well, under the age over, of 18 over the age of 18. We'll say so. Uh, whereas every yeah. P- current PDGA member and I, I do think you had to be a current PDGA member. But the, the yeah, I I'd have to go back and think about it. But did we have six or nine thousand kids on kids yeah. under the age of 18? That would have been uh, therefore disqualified. Maybe Easy. we just interviewed one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Um, yes, it didn't go to anyone under the age it's, of 18, but I think you just had to be a current PDGA member. Um, it's disappointing, uh, um, you know, with an email on file. If there's more responses uh, to this I than mean, there are votes, that, that's just a little disappointing to me. I, I mean, uh, at, at the end of the day, I feel like it is what it is. This is clearly a very uh, impassioned of course, subject matter, and I'm glad we get as much response as possible. And then, again, researchers like qualified people will then take it and do what they do with it, which is still beyond mm-hmm. me. Um, n- none of that's in our purview. Yeah, Michael so. Tucker on the board kind of nails it. He says, I think why the, why the survey got political and I'm going to put political in quotes, but is they're trying to find trend lines and it is, it's just different ways for the survey to slice up data. They look at a lot of those standard questions and try to put people into particular groups like oh it's interesting that well, everyone who answered this question responded this way to the first part of the survey and that and that all that stuff is hopefully going to get you know that that's that's for the university to kind of deal with um well i think i think a phrase that i heard somewhere was they're trying to identify who you are and the decisions you're making without identifying you that that is how something was phrased to me or or summarized to me at one point, and I thought that was just a really interesting take, um, which which seems sensible because a lot of people don't want you know their actual name attached to their survey, and I and I love that as well. I love that it's a hundred percent you know and anonymous so to speak, and and again, the university and anyone that's involved with this has a very strict set of guidelines and policies that they must adhere to along with a lot of the legalese jargon and, and topics or, and or uh, ways that things were phrased. And I just, uh, yeah, I, it, it, that's the take on it. Um, and again, I fully understand uh, the, the awkwardness and where it went and how it went there, but just know it's not exactly uh, wild and crazy to other people that are familiar with similar situations. So, uh, yeah, and and I will ask, I don't know off the top of my head, I'm not sure how either results and or summation 
or any of that. I don't know wh- who's who's going to get that, who, who it does or doesn't get shared with. I don't know any of those details. But obviously, if we know anything here on the show, we'll gladly share it or point people to the right pay, uh, place and then uh, go from there. So there you go. Great. Uh, but clearly that very much took over the Internet for a day or two as like you see and throw pink started for like a hot 12 hours that was the discussion and then suddenly At least, yeah yeah and then suddenly usdgc showed up and i haven't heard anything since so uh again i just think it's awesome that the conversations are being had and mm-hmm. that research is being done because i think it's fair to say that within disc golf or even related to disc golf specific, there's essentially nothing for us to point to. And so I think the the fact that this subcommittee has then, you know, reached out and had these conversations with this research committee and department, uh, just the fact that things it's moving, something's moving in the direction and, and we'll mm-hmm. see how, you know, how, where it all lands. All right. Yeah. Well, Terry, uh, so I yeah, we that were- was very much. I say we wrap this show up. We can uh, talk a little bit in the after show about our upcoming weekend and the pro tour finale and, and, and move on from there. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I need any more after late night shows. I think I've had, I don't know, but I'll I'll oblige. I think, I think you could go for for one or two backwoods before the after show. Uh, I don't know we, we won't go there. All right, guys, (laughs) we will close it out. Uh, we appreciate you guys for joining us. Thank you for the flexibility. As always, we know we're here on a Wednesday night. We came in a little bit early. Uh, all the adjustments that need to be made, but by this time, six days from now, everything should be back on track uh, for our regular Tuesday night, and we'll likely be talking to a, a couple of our Disc Golf Pro Tour champions, whomever that may be on both both sides. $35 richer is who both of those people are going to be, which is $35,000 richer, not just $35 richer. Yeah. $35,000 richer. It's going to be awesome. Each of them. Uh, thank you to Gannon Burr and his entire crew and posse. Thank you uh, for, for making any adjustments, Gannon, so that you could join us tonight. We very much appreciate it. Thank you to all the smashies out there that have been taking in all the action. We're going to stand down just for a hot minute. We're going to have a really quick break here and then when we come back we'll have an after show we'll discuss other things taking place and we'll answer all your questions in the chat on youtube for johnny v i'm terry miller the disc golf guy you've been watching smashbox tv's podcast 424 we'll see you in the after show when you step inside the smashbox thank you to our two dollar and above patrons your name is listed below in the credits if you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash smashbox TV. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.